Hello and welcome to Enneagram-ish, where we talk honestly about the Enneagram, growth, and the ugly, messy, wonderful art of living. My name is Valentine and I'll be your host. Welcome back, friends, to episode four, and today's episode is an interview I did with my good friend Nima, who is an Enneagram four. Fours tend to be sensitive, emotionally aware, and unafraid of the negative emotions that many people avoid. Fours gravitate towards beauty, truth, and authenticity. On the flip side, though, fours often describe struggling with negative self-image and lingering sadness. This conversation was honest and real, and I'm so excited to share it with you. A brief trigger warning here, we do discuss alcohol and alcoholism in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Nima. Hi, Valentine. Thank you for doing this. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I am really looking forward to this conversation. How are you feeling? I am nervous, <laughs> excited also, but nervous. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I think that's fair. Um, so for context, uh, you and I, we go way back, right? So we met our first year of college, I think in the early part of the first year, and we've been good friends since then. Um, mm-hmm. We actually have quite a bit in common. You know, we're both um, children of African immigrants. We both grew up in Maryland went to school in California, and we sort of just been stumbling in our own ways through life since then. And, you know, sort of like what I really appreciate about you, and it, perhaps it's because you're a four, um, is that, first of all, like, I really appreciate how much fun we have together. You know, I can sometimes be a little serious, but I just really appreciate people who like bring out this lighter side of me where I can find a little more joy and sort of just like silliness. And I, and I, and I appreciate that about us. And I also just think you're a really good listener. I think you're really good at holding space for people and for sort of allowing people to feel exactly what they're feeling and to ask good questions about things people are saying and maybe some of the things they're not saying. So I really appreciate you. Oh, well, thank you. I I appreciate you too. I think um, you have a a tendency to kind of speak the truth. Um, And that is something, you know, that I value because I think People don't always want to do that. Um, And so I think that's an important thing to have in a friend and somebody who's, you know, close in your life. And so I appreciate in you. Thank you. Okay. So pivoting to the Enneagram, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to the Enneagram and whether the experience was sort of intuitive, like you read it and you automatically knew it was you? Um, Sure. So I actually... um, was introduced to the Enneagram by you. Um, we had gone on a little like lunch picnic thing. And I believe this was sort of around the time that you were getting into it, or, you know, maybe a few months down the road where you had been going through your own journey um, with the Enneagram. And so you were very excited about it and you had the test all ready to go um, and hadn't take it right then and there. Pulled out my textbooks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And um, 
took the test, discovered I was a four and, you know, kind of looked a little bit into what that meant. And that got me really kind of excited because I felt like, oh, wow, this, this is me. Like, this is totally who I am. Um, and so like right after that, I was like, I'm going to go get this book. And so I Googled, you know, the closest Barnes and Nobles or whatever, and, and went and grabbed the book and sat down at home, uh, maybe a couple of days later, reading through the, the chapter on fours and was a little bit upset. <laughs> because I felt super called out. I was like all of these sort of negative traits or aspects or things, you know, that maybe I had felt was a little bit more hidden or, you know, that people didn't necessarily know about um, was all right here. And I was like, okay, I don't need you to call out my entire life like that. But um, it, it was also affirming in a way, I think particularly with kind of the nature of being a four and having this personality of being different in a way and, and feeling so unlike everybody else that to kind of see like, oh, there are, there are other people out there like this. This is a feeling that and a written experience that other people have as well. Um, there was something kind of nice also about seeing that and feeling understood in some way. So that feeling of having like your blood and guts on the page, that's exactly why I didn't tell you what I was. Like, I did not tell you until yesterday yep. What, yep. <laughs> <laughs> what number it was. And I don't like to tell people because it feels so exposing. And it's like, oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate yep. it. But it's interesting. So like when... When you look at the descriptions of fours, I can understand how it can be profound as a four because they're sort of just telling you all these things that have felt true for so long. But like when you're reading it as a non-four, it makes it like I, I read it and I have no idea how to spot a four. Mm. There's very little about their behaviors. Like I can spot a two. I can spot an eight. I can often spot a seven and a one. But fours, I'm just like, oh. So what kind of people are they? And I was actually quite surprised uh, that you were a four. So I think this will be a really helpful, um, yeah, a really helpful conversation. Okay, so you had mentioned that when you were reading this this chapter, um, that one of the things that felt important was this idea of being different, right? Mm -hmm. And And I don't know whether it's like you feel like you are different or you feel like you want to be different. So can you tell us more about that? I think for me... It was just this inherent feeling of being different. And I think that's something that has been with me, you know, my whole life. I think growing up, I always felt that that I was different from everybody else. And like, you know, I really felt like there was something wrong with me. You know, I felt like I was more emotional than other people. I felt like I would get, you know, in in my moods. Um, it seemed to me that there was something that everybody else just had that I, I didn't have, that people just, they got it to this, you know, whatever it was that, you know, enabled them to be able to get along with people and be open and be free and, you know, whatever, to, to be themselves. And there, there was always this disconnect from me that I felt like I was an outsider in a sense. Mm -hmm. So that actually goes into... Another thing that is often described with fours, which is the sense of like a comparison with others that kind of always puts the four at the disadvantage, right? Yep. Is that something that's quite relevant to you? Uh, yes, <laughs> I think 
hundred percent. Um, I think that is one of the biggest things that has been a struggle for me, um, in the past. And I think even something, you know, still that I deal with today is looking at other people and, and having this sense that everybody just has it figured out. They just, they have life figured out. They know how to be around people. They know how to interact with people. They're more successful than I am. They're more happy than I am, you know, and I'm always the one that's lacking. I think sometimes it, it, it's even a comparison to myself. I think there, there are times when I look back and like, I'm like, oh, I, I used to be smarter. I used to be, you know, like whatever the case may be. It's it's this constant looking at other people or other experiences or situations. And I'm always situating myself as less than that or lacking from that. And I think that's something that has been a big struggle for me and is something that is kind of a continuous work in progress. But something that I'm more able to recognize now and understand that it, it can be something that is more created. I think sometimes like in my mind that, you know, I'm not really looking at the whole picture and that it can come from this sort of emotional state of this feeling like something's wrong with me or feeling like something is lacking. Um, and that I'm not really looking kind of more objectively at the, the whole picture of the situation of I don't know what other people are going through or what their lives are, or what their experiences are. And to kind of temper a little bit of what my emotions may want me to do or may, you know, lead me to do with a little bit more rationality and to kind of try and balance that out a little bit more. I definitely relate to that. I think that for me, I assume that other, I also assume that other people have just like figured out more things than me. And like in the sense I'm kind of like a kid like unless somebody tells me like oh I'm like having surgery tomorrow or like I'm having this challenge that I'm facing like unless they explicitly say it mm -hmm. it's not true yeah right <laughs> and so like I just go on what I know and what people have told me and so like if nobody's told me and a lot of people do kind of enjoy seeming put together right mm -hmm. I think that that's uh something people really enjoy it's not something I've ever invested time in um but I totally get what you're saying. Um, so the other thing that fours often describe is the sense of like sort of steeping in these emotions, some, often like the the darker emotions, the the sadder emotions, which a lot of people are not comfortable with, sort of sitting in them perhaps longer than they should because in some ways it feels like quote unquote good. And I think for people who are not fours, it can be hard to wrap your head around how can something sad be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, for me, I, you know, I do suffer from anxiety and depression. And so I think especially when I was younger, and I didn't know that that's what I was experiencing, it was just kind of part of who I was, you know, and I would have these periods of being down kind of without explanation, or being sort of excessively worried about things and just knowing that to be like, this is just who I am. And so I think as I've kind of moved through my life and as I've gotten older and things, there's a certain comfort or familiarity in those types of feelings because, you know, that's just, that's who I've been. That's just who I am. And so I think that can definitely come out sometimes where I'll have a negative experience or, you know, situation, something maybe minor, you know, like 
my order getting messed up at Dunkin' Donuts this morning, you know, that would kind of get me down the path of starting to feel like, oh, you know, that's, this is something that could kind of make me a little bit upset. And sometimes leaning into that and taking that into, okay, well, what's the next thing that I have to be upset about? What's the next thing, you know, that can make me feel bad or sad and just going down that sort of path. um, And feeling like, like this makes sense. Like, I know what it's like to have these feelings. I know what, I know what this is. I understand what this is. And so there can be a kind of a comfort in having those feelings just because it feels like something that I'm so used to. And I think it, it can also be something, you know, that being depressed or something, it can also be something that requires effort to get out of. Um, and so to kind of have to take those extra steps or put that extra effort into getting myself out of that emotion or out of that situation can sometimes feel like more work than it's worth in a way. Um, just because I, I already know what it is to be sad. I, I know what I am when I'm sad. And I, I it's kind of like I know what to do. You know, I just sit down on the couch and I curl up and I watch my show and, and whatever. And like, this is fine. I know what this is. This makes sense to me to kind of rather sit with that than to maybe sometimes do the work that it takes to get myself out of that feeling, to go outside and take a walk or, you know, sit down and have a conversation with my mom or a friend about, you know, how I'm feeling or what I'm going through. It can definitely be easier to sometimes just sit and stew in those feelings rather than put in that extra effort that it sometimes takes to get out of it. So this feeling that you described of like cherry picking the next thing to feel sad about, would you say that's conscious or unconscious? Um, I think it can be both. I think sometimes I'll be doing it and then catch myself and I'm kind of like, okay, well, wait a second. Like (laughs) we're kind of starting to go down that road. Um, But sometimes I think, I don't know, it's like almost like this perverse kind of pleasure in a way of just like. I'm, I'm going to do this to myself. Like, I'm just, I don't know, maybe I don't think that I should be happy in a, in a moment or something. And so I'm like, let me just keep thinking about things that are, are going to keep me unhappy. I don't know. Um, it's weird. It's definitely, it, it can be both. But I think it's something that I'm trying to make more of a thing that I'm aware, make it more conscious so that I do know that when I'm doing that and can kind of stop it before it gets to a point where I'm just stuck in this, you know, negative depressive state or this emotion. Well, and like, even if the like end result, which is the like melancholy is not the same, I think we can all relate to like choosing to do something that you know is going to make you feel worse like I'm just thinking about people like even friends that I'm not close to anymore who I miss going on their Instagrams and just being like what are they doing oh my god they look so happy and successful and then just like what like let me check their Facebook you know like and it's just like it's such an easy path it's so well worn (laughs) why not you know (laughs) so I I I totally (laughs) get that But at the same time, like, even though it is kind of bittersweet, you know, this, this having to rein yourself in, uh, otherwise, you might end up in a place you don't want to stay. I do think this is what contributes to fours being so emotionally fluent, right? Mm -hmm. I can come to a four and express that I am angry or embarrassed or ashamed or disgusted or anything. And I never feel like I'm gonna be like, a misunderstood 
or be like that it's uncalled for what I'm feeling, mm. right? Because I I also have a lot of emotions, not as much as you, but like I also have a lot of emotions. And like there's so many people who will be like, that's too much. Like, why are you feeling that? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just really never the case with the fours in my life. So um that's yeah, that's a real, that's a real gift. I am curious, what does it take for a person to really let you down? I think kind of in my experience, I have, I tend to feel let down when I feel that I'm not like being supported or I am not being accepted in a sense, or that the people, you know, that I care about or the people that are important to me, that they are not there for me um, when I need them to be. And it's, it's almost this feeling of like being rejected. And I think this is something that it's kind of come up a lot in sort of my past relationships and things where I'll get into these very sort of codependent relationships with people where I'm expecting them to be sort of everything to me in a way that whenever I'm, I'm experiencing pretty much anything, you know, I, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm this, you know, I need the person to be there for me right then when I need them to be there for me. And if they're not able to, it's, it's like a rejection against me. It's like they don't care about me or they don't, I'm not important to them. And that has been something that has really been a struggle for me. And it's something that has really contributed to those feelings of like being let down and feeling like, you know, I, I value this person and I feel like this person should value me. So why aren't they there for me when I need them to be? And it's it's really been about kind of making other people responsible for my emotional state and what I'm going through. And it, it's something that I've kind of like had to realize and make a conscious effort to work on and improve um, and understand that it's not really a reasonable expectation. And I sort of need to be responsible for my own emotions. Um, yeah, but I, I think definitely for me that that has been sort of the biggest source of feeling let down by other people. Well, and there's like so many layers to that, right? Because let's say you're feeling a feeling you don't want to feel, right? Instead of like recognizing that it's like a feeling that's making you uncomfortable, you like try to get to the other person Mm. as quickly as possible, right? Mm -hmm. And then that other person maybe has a life or has other things going on. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, you're so identified with this feeling of like, no, I can't, I can't feel this, that it's like, I need you to solve this. And, and what's crazy is that it's all unconscious and there's like no communication about it, not to yourself mm-hmm. and not to the other person either. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I just expect them, you know, to know the whole internal struggle that I'm going through. They are just supposed to know what to do and how to fix it. And they are supposed to drop everything right then and there and help me. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, that feels like a pretty big learning. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's easy to implement, but it sounds like a pretty important learning, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it has definitely been something that I've had to work on and address in order to have healthier relationships with people and have healthier a healthier relationship with my own emotions, you know, in being able to sit through some of those uncomfortable emotions sometimes and not place that responsibility of feeling better or getting out of that or just sitting with the emotion for a while, you know, not putting that on somebody else and being able to accept that responsibility for myself. It's really interesting because 
as I've gotten older, I've found much, much, much healthier relationships. And I found friends who are just excellent. And it's still so tempting for me not to feel something because I know if I just call this person, A, they'll pick up and B, they'll help me process what I'm feeling. So I don't have to do it. And it's like so tempting, (laughs) but it's like, it's not the path of growth. (laughs) It's really not. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's just not. Um, So the last thing I'd like to talk about is one of the things they say about fours is that when they get overwhelmed, um, they tend to like withdraw and some of them can sort of self-medicate, whatever that means. So I know that you've had a pretty turbulent few years and I'd, I'd appreciate if you could tell us a little more about that. Sure. Um, yeah, that has definitely been something that has been true for me. Um, I think... For me, the self-medication took the form of alcohol, um, and that's been something that I struggled with for the past, I don't know, seven years or something of my life, where it kind of, you know, begun in college, where I think there's often, you know, a culture of, of drinking and, you know, uh, partying and, and whatever, um, and it's such a time, I think, of people trying to find themselves and find who they are and and what they believe and, you know, to kind of create this identity, um, you know, in this time of exploration. And so for me, when I started drinking, um, it was this way to kind of get rid of those differences that I'd been feeling. Um, It was a way for me to connect with other people and a way for me to feel like I was finally kind of having the same experiences that everybody else had been having like this whole time. And I was able to feel comfortable around other people. I was able to feel like I could be open and I could be, I could talk, I could have friends, I could have these experiences and be this person that I felt like everybody else had already been enjoying. And I was finally able to be a part of that. And so It was something that, you know, kind of as the years went by, began to, I don't know, began to sort of take a a form that I didn't like, or I, you know, I started to see more of the the negative impacts that it was having on me. Um, I think, you know, especially at first, it had been almost a way to kind of going back to the identity thing as a way to like distinguish myself because, you know, I had come from a family, um, you know, my parents don't drink. I wasn't ever sort of around alcohol or, or that kind of environment. And it was a way for me to sort of be myself and be my own person and sort of be like, okay, you know, well, that's not something that they do, but I'm allowed to be who I am and I can drink if I want to drink. And, you know, it, it felt like, it felt like a positive thing at first, I think, because it allowed me to be this person that I think I had wanted to be or, you know, felt that other people had the capacity to be, but I didn't. And um, it just slowly was affecting my relationships with other people, um, my work, and I think eventually like my my own opinion of myself because it was this thing that I would do, you know, to, to have fun, to have these good experiences or whatever, but I was starting to have more instances of blacking out and not remembering what I had done or having done things that I regretted and experiences that I didn't want to have. And 
that was becoming more frequent. I was starting to see the consequences in other areas of my life. You know, I was losing people that were important to me and, and having these relationships and all these, these different aspects of my life suffer as a result of the, the drinking that, you know, I was experiencing. And it, it really wasn't it. It wasn't until I was able to kind of move away from what I was hearing from everybody else. And, you know, because it was obviously getting to a point where other people were telling me, you know, it, it sounds like you have a problem. Um, <laughs> I didn't really want to hear that <laughs> um, because it just felt like I just needed to like figure out the right way to drink. You know, I just needed to time it right. And, you know, I, I was just, it's because I was coming out of college and I was used to binge drinking, you know, and so I just had to learn how to drink like a normal adult, you know, <laughs> it, there was always some way that I just needed to finagle it. And then, then I would have it down. But, you know, eventually it got to a point where I was able to see that I wasn't able to function the way that I wanted to. And my life wasn't going the way that I wanted it to. And, um, you know, it took me really getting to a, a rock bottom of this is not what I want. This is, I'm unhappy. I'm, I'm just unhappy for me to really be able to accept the fact that I had a problem and begin the path to addressing it and sort of moving forward from there to get, to climb out of that and to, to move forward. Yeah. And it's because you were using this substance to help you like yourself better, to help you differentiate yourself better, to help you. It was such a loaded experience that then like piecing out all of the elements of it. That sounds really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was definitely <laughs> a struggle. Um, it really was a matter of kind of breaking down those little pieces and just being able to start with like accepting, you know, my emotional state or something and not being like, oh, I feel guilty. I feel sad. I feel bored or whatever. Let me drink. You know, it, it was having to be able to sit in those emotions and to accept who I was, you know, at the time, like I've done something stupid and I don't feel good about it. And I'd rather just, you know, drink to get over it, to be able to except, okay, you know, this is something that has happened and I just have to accept it. Like, you know, I can't run away from it. I can't turn to this other substance or this other thing to try and help me cope with it or deal with it. You know, and it, it was just kind of doing that slowly day in and day out of this acceptance of myself and my situation and, and what I was going through to be able to handle that and to be able to move forward from the addiction. So I believe that in life, we have a few like massive lessons, right? That are sort of revealed to us. Um, not necessarily like that revealed, like now you know how to do this, but actually this is what you need to work on, right? And one of the, one of the lessons that I am trying to learn is like, you need to develop a relationship with yourself, right? Like you need to be the person who understands you best you need to be the person who can manage yourself best. You need to be the person who loves you best because I don't think we're never taught that, you know, like I do think there are some people who have an instinct in them to like to be alone and like mm -hmm. kind of enjoy it. But unless it's sort of coupled with like, I need to understand who I am and why I do the things that I do so that I can get better. Um, 
I don't know. Does that make sense? No, I think it does. I think that's kind of like what the acceptance was about for me, because I think I had always sort of felt like I'm different. I'm alone. I'm this, you know, misunderstood being that, you know, people just don't get. But I wasn't able to accept it either. You know, I wasn't able to live or sit with who I was. And I think that's why, you know, I would turn to, to something like alcohol to kind of get outside of that experience and to not feel like I had to sit with this person who I wasn't always comfortable with. And so I think that that's definitely been a big part for me of being able to accept myself and to, to view myself as, you know, this person, like I have my own back, you know, like I can take care of myself and, you know, not to, I don't know, not to sound like, you know, you don't have people who love and support you and, you know, all of that stuff, but to, to be able to be happy and, and comfortable and satisfied with the person who you are at the end of the day and be able to live with those feelings. I think that was a big sort of push or motivator in a way for me to be able to get sober because I wanted to be able to be happy with myself and, and who I was. And I, I wasn't for a long time. Um, and I feel better able to accept myself now and to, to trust myself now, to know that I can understand myself and, and what I'm feeling and what I'm going through. And I can take responsibility for that. And I can do what I need to do to correct it. You know, if it's not something that I want to feel to sit with it, if it's something that I do need to feel, whatever the case may be, I, I feel better able to be there for myself. I love that. Thank you for being so honest that that's, that's a big ask. Um, okay, so let's fast forward now. Three years, you're sober. Yeah. Congratulations. That's, that's really amazing. I'm super proud, super impressed. Um, you're also employed, which is important in America. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're engaged. Yeah. And you're expecting a little yes. one. Those are a lot of those are a lot of wonderful things. How did you do it? Tell me what the lesson is. What's the secret to getting here? Um I think for me, the the secret has been, I mean, for one, as kind of cliche as it sounds, to sort of take things one day at a time. I think, especially sort of having gone through that period of turmoil and kind of having my life go down a path that I hadn't anticipated it going down, I think there was a lot of things I had wanted to do or, or places I wanted to be, or just, I think I felt like I would be at a certain place in my life, you know, by this point in time, whatever that may be. And I think it's been about sort of dialing it back a little and not getting ahead of myself, but looking to what I want to accomplish and where I want to be and sort of taking small steps every day to be able to get there. And so kind of like one of the biggest lessons for me has been being able to accept criticism in a way and to look more honestly at myself and what I'm doing and what I'm able to change or improve on to get to where I want to be. Because I think, you know, particularly in my sort of time of active addiction, I didn't want to hear that what I was doing was wrong. You know, it was everybody else who was the problem. It was other people who weren't accepting me for, you know, who I was or what I wanted to do. And I think having gone through that experience and realizing like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not right all the time. Maybe there are things that, that can be wrong with me, you know, in some way or things that I do need to work on and, and 
you know, if I'm not quite where I want to be, maybe there's something that I need to consider or something that I need to look at um, that will help me to sort of move forward on the path that I'm trying to go down. And so, yeah, I think that that has been kind of the biggest thing for me is being able to have that openness and that willingness to look at myself and see what I can do in some small way, you know, in it, one little bit at a time to kind of improve myself and make myself happier with the person that I am to get to where I want to be. And so I think, you know, like with my fiance, you know, we had, we had split up prior, you know, because of the addiction and everything that I had gone through. And it took being able to have a real honesty with who I was in the relationship and how we were interacting with each other for us to be able to get to the point that we are now of being engaged and getting ready to start our own family and all this kind of stuff. So I just feel, you know, today that I am able to look at myself honestly and openly and make the changes that I want to make to be the person that I want to be and, and get to where I want to get to in my life. I love that. I love that. Cause it's like the first thing is face yourself. The very first thing. And I think that that's a really, I think that's what I I'm taking from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much. This was incredibly generous. I don't think it was easy. And I know you were really nervous about it, um, but I'm, I'm so, yeah, I'm so grateful. I'm so inspired and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. And I really enjoyed kind of getting to open up a little and and share some of my experiences. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So before I let you go, I want to know what's something that you have, I was going to say read, but I know you don't read. Um, So something that you have listened to or enjoyed watching lately? Um, Well, something I I can do this something I have listened to um that I have enjoyed is actually um the podcast by Glennon Doyle it's called we can do hard things she's actually also the author of untamed which I have almost read in its entirety how long has it taken you Nima tell us how long um, has it been I don't think that's particularly (laughs) relevant to this conversation um Anyway, <laughs> I did enjoy, you know, the part of the book that I have read and um, the podcast, I think, has been really, I've really enjoyed it. It's just been, I don't know, the first four or five episodes or something that have come out um, that I felt like she's talked about a lot of really relevant things and she she's kind of had some similar experiences that I've had in dealing with addiction and that sort of thing. And so that has something that I've really enjoyed listening to and I would recommend. I will add that to my list. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been wonderful. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Enneagram-ish with me, Valentine. Our logo was designed by the fabulous Aya Yakub, and our audio engineer is the phenomenal Frank Ogetto, who also created our theme song. If you're liking what you're hearing, please like and subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us on our Instagram page at Enneagram underscore ish. If you've got the time, consider leaving us a comment on Apple Podcasts because feedback is clean. Thanks again.